I'm Megan Lawrence, and welcome to the Wild Leaders Podcast. Wild stands for Whole and Intentional Leader Development, and in this episode, you'll be listening to one of our Wild Conversations. Wild Conversations are interactive virtual experiences every Friday for one hour with leaders from around the country. It's no cost to join or attend, and you can sign up by visiting wildleaders.org backslash wildconversation. You can also listen on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please follow us and subscribe. Wild Conversations are led by our founder and CEO, Dr. Rob McKenna. Named one of the top 30 IO psychologists alive today, Dr. McKenna is passionate about developing leaders and transforming the way we see people in our organizations. As he will tell you, we have the tools at our fingertips to invest in our people in ways that are meaningful to them and will get the results we need. 30 years of research has taught us how much people learn and grow on the job. We have what it takes to create rich learning environments for the people we lead, and all we have to do is begin to act on what we know. Thanks for joining this wild conversation. Claire, it is so good to be with all of you, to see your faces, and I'm excited for this content today as we continue our Half-Truth series, where we're taking popular leadership topics, the things that you see in memes, they pop up on LinkedIn, we throw them around in dinner parties, in our meetings, and some of these topics are pretty spot on, but, but we've culturally changed them from their intent, and so we're hoping to realign them. Sometimes it's just not on, on target, and so we're going to debunk them, and other times just want to rethink it and hopefully get a, a better perspective so that we can be more intentional, more effective in the ways that we lead. And so today is on emotional intelligence, and wow, it is a lot. We have become enamored with emotional intelligence as a society, in organizations, in work, in psychology. And I got to say, getting into the research this week, it is the psychological wild west. Emotional intelligence is honestly a jungle. (laughs) If the emotional intelligence research told me anything this week, it was the reminder that people are not simple. We are not simple creatures. There's so much nuance. And oftentimes in those memes or in aggregate studies, we can, we can lose a lot of that nuance. In fact, over the last 20 to 25 years, this topic has enamored researchers so much. There has been just a proliferation of research on the topic. And honestly, a lot of it is, is conflicting. And so um, we're going to be getting into that today. But we also know at the same time, we know intuitively that emotions are important in the human equation. And I think that's one of the reasons this topic has, has gained popularity. Because as leaders, we know that our ability to understand and, re- and, and, and regulate our emotions matters. Our ability to understand emotions, ours and others, and regulate our emotions matters. And because of that, my, my hope today, my, our, I think our purpose is to try to get a little bit closer to how can we get it right so we can continue to make a positive impact for the people we are responsible for. And like every week, um, the folks on our team, and myself included, we are working these things out real time. And so while I've got a point of view that I'm gonna share, um, based on the work that we do at Wild with leaders and the research that I've been digging into, by no means do I have the corner on emotions. I'm hoping to stir the pot a little bit and spark some of our thinking and then get us into some practice and applications so we can leave as more effective leaders. So let's, let's get into the mess. Let's get into the jungle of emotional intelligence. Here's the roadmap. I'm gonna start by defining emotional intelligence. 
And then I'm going to give you three half truths about emotional intelligence. And trust me, there's a lot more than three, but I only have time for three. I'm going to share three half truths about emotional intelligence. And for each one, I'm going to break down what is the fallacy and then end with a question that can get us towards a better understanding and application. So we'll, we'll end with getting into those three questions and you're going to get to pick one of them for your breakout. So when we talk about emotional intelligence, what the heck is it actually? And in your breakout, you answered a question quickly. You said, how do you know if you are emotionally intelligent? Can I ask you to do something real time? Open the chat. I'm going to give you 30 seconds and just put your response into the chat. How do you know if you're emotionally intelligent? Enter your response in the chat. I just want to see some of those responses quickly. How do you know if you are emotionally intelligent or a friend? <laughs> Kim, I was tested. Oh, that's awesome. JR, um, if emotional reactions do not confuse you, Don, I'm self-aware about how I come across to people. Megan, connection to self, connection to others. I can regulate, pivot. Uh, Jim, you recognize there is something else going on in the room. Awesome. Jason, aware of how you impact others. It's great. Good stuff. Keep adding them in. I'm not going to be able to catch all these. I'm going to pick, pick some of them. Mahesh, you prioritize others' emotions over yours. So you can regulate your own. Amy, if you can regulate your response based on your current circumstances. Eva, see the reaction of others. Uh, aware, uh, awareness of oneself and others. Rubelin, JD, the feedback people give me matches the emotion I was striving for. Kim, aware of my filters and mental models. <laughs> Michael, I know I am because I am not. <laughs> That's the philosophical. Okay, a, lo a lot in there. Gosh, so many came in. I can't catch them. Uh, but, but hold on to those. I, I think what you just did was help me prove um, some of the challenges with emotional intelligence because most of those responses seem to sort of get at it, right? At least intuitively, I think we're trending in the right direction. And that's, that's one of the reasons that the research and even the application of this topic is confusing because there's different definitions. So is, is it an actual intelligence? It's actually, you're actually intelligent in this capability? Or is it a personality trait? It's something that you're a little bit more um, naturally inclined towards. Is it a fairly stable trait that you can improve over time? Or is it something that's like, it's in your genetics, you're kind of locked as it is. There are different assumptions with different definitions and different results. Um, in prepping for this, I pulled up one of my very first papers in grad school. It's 14 years ago. I did a paper on emotional intelligence, and I was comparing that to the research today. And I got to say, while there's a little bit more clarity today, it's just about as messy as it was back then. So let, let me give you one definition that's the most common, well-researched. It's called the four-branched model of emotional intelligence. And if, if we were to put all the different definitions into a boxing ring, this would be the heavyweight contender, okay? Um, so by, by no means is this the only way, but this is the most commonly used way in the research and in a lot of the assessment tools. And it's defined as this. Emotional intelligence is the ability to perceive emotions, use emotions to facilitate thought, understand emotions, and manage or regulate emotions in a way that enhances personal growth in social relations. Okay, so let me, let me, let me put that in, in, a, in a more of a narrative because like any good definition, you gotta hear it in a sentence. And so some research describe it as this, a set of abilities, verbal and nonverbal, that enable a person to generate, recognize, express, understand, and evaluate their own and others' emotions so that they can guide their thinking and actions as they cope with demands and pressures. 
So that kind of make that kind of makes sense, you know, based on this or any definition or what you put in the chat. As leaders, it makes sense why we pay why we pay attention to emotions because we we know that our ability to understand and regulate emotions matters, and that if we can do this positively or if we're doing it negatively, it has an impact on the people we're responsible for. So there's a lot of reasons why this is intuitively caught on. So let me share let me share three half truths about emotional intelligence. Like I said, for each one, I'm going to break down the fallacy and end with a question and a possibility. So three half-truths and three possibilities, and then we'll get those questions at the end to, to break down. So here's the first one, the half-truth half number one. Emotional intelligence is the most important attribute for leaders. Emotional intelligence is the most important attribute for leaders. That's the half-truth number one. Now you might see where I'm going with this. Emotional intelligence is important. The ability to understand regulate our emotions matters, but it's not the complete story. We know that emotions matter, but what else matters to you as a leader in your effectiveness? What else matters? We are so enamored in organizations and in leadership and psychology culture with silver bullets one-size-fits-all models that we, we, we so often miss the nuance that we need as leaders to be effective that go beyond a simple principle or, or a quick and dirty rule of thumb. You know, when this happens, do this. So let me give you a couple examples. Okay, emotions matter, but as a leader, what about social support? How important is it for you as a leader to have mentors, advisors, people who are around you who can give you feedback and help you understand how you're showing up? What about your levels of adaptability? Is, especially in a day and age like this, is your ability to adapt and adjust and um, pivot, does that matter as a leader? What about your competence, both technically or as a leader? Does competence matter? Does the skill matter? What matters more, competence or emotions? Is it a competition? What about purpose or motivation? Where does that fit in? What about your situation? What if right now you're in a massive pressure cooker? I know some of you are and you're not being supported in your environment. Or maybe you are being really supported. Is it your emotional intelligence that's carrying away or the fact that you've got an environment that's really the tailor fit bespoke for you? So we all know that those things matter. And there is one study that it's one of the most robust studies on this topic. It's a meta-analysis. They take other studies and they aggregate and, and, and look deeper into what it actually means and they had a sentence in here that I just thought nailed, two sentences that nailed the emotional intelligence research. Here's what they said. This is one of the, the, the strongest research bases on emotional intelligence. It said, overall, the present data did not offer support for the claims that emotional intelligence is the single most important predictor in job performance. So they're looking at, does emotional intelligence predict job performance? It's like the holy grail, job performance is the holy grail of psychology at work. If you can predict people's performance, you're gonna make some money. Um, so they said it did not offer claims as the single most important predictor. What we did find, however, are data that provided a contrasting perspective with the claims that emotional intelligence is nothing more than cognitive ability and personality. So bottom shelving that, basically emotional intelligence is not all that in a bag of chips, but it's not worthless either. It's not the only thing that, that matters, but it still matters. And so some of you might say, okay, well, job performance matters, but um, what about leaders? We know that performance is a lot of things that impact performance, and that often comes down the line. It's, it's a far-term objective. Um, but if you look at the, even the research on emotional intelligence on, on transformational leadership or um, 
leadership effectiveness, it's mixed. And in some cases, overall, not very strong. So it matters, but it's not the only thing. So, so hear me out here. If, if you're a huge emotional intelligence fan, I'm not saying emotional intelligence is bad, but I am saying it's not the only thing that, that there is. It's, it's, it's one thing that matters in a constellation, a literal network or spider web of things. It's why at Wild, when we talk about whole and intentional leader development, we really do mean whole. Like in the actual sense, you can't just piecemeal something and call it good. And, and, and certainly, our, our ability to manage emotions is critical. It's, it's absolutely critical. And at Wild, we focus a lot of time and attention on emotional regulation, which I'll, I'll get into in a minute. But a more nuanced viewpoint might get beyond the books and the hype and focus not just on emotional intelligence, but the broader context and the other constructs or concepts that impact your emotional health as a whole, in a whole more complete sense. So, so here's, here's the first question, and this might be the question you pick for your breakout, one of three questions. What are the factors that enable you to be your most emotionally healthy version of yourself? What are the surrounding factors that enable you to be the most emotionally healthy version of yourself? We know that emotions matter, but it's, it's not by themselves, and we'll get into a second, it's not a vacuum. Okay, so that's, that's the first half truth. It's not the only thing that matters, but we often talk about it like it is, if we're honest. Half truth number two, intelligence is fairly static, but we're often told with emotional intelligence that you can change. Emotional intelligence is fairly static. Intelligence is static, but we're often told that you can change. So have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what the heck is intelligence actually about? What actually is intelligence? I don't, I don't think about that too often until I lead sessions like this, but philosophers have been debating this for centuries. Psychologists have quite literally over a hundred years of theory, research data on this. And so while there's still a lot for grabs, we, we've not mastered what intelligence is. There's a pretty good general consensus about intelligence and that intelligence is something that while it can change, it's not super malleable. And so you, in other words, you can change it, but not very quickly and definitely not exponentially. Somebody doesn't have an exponential change in intelligence. You can grow, you can train yourself, you can educate, pick any topic or issue, you can grow in it, but you don't, it doesn't happen as in a hockey stick. So the, they, they talk about markers for intelligence. So for example, with emotional intelligence, is it an actual be behavior? Is it an ability that ex expresses itself in a behavior to recognize emotions and solve them that you can actually measure? And is it related to actual intelligence, cognitive ability, but different? Is it related enough that we know it's in the same family, but it's different enough that we know it's not something else with a different name slapped on? And it has to be able to change, but there's a big but, because that change doesn't happen over time. And today we, ha we have this kind of proliferation of intelligence. Um, there's a, a researcher, a South African psychologist in University College in London, Adrian Furnham, who's done some great writing on this, and he had an article uh, titled Everything Intelligence. And I'm going to read a couple quotes from this because I think it just, it just nailed it. He, and he's talking about emotional intelligence specifically, but, but how, we, how we kind of co-opt intelligence and proliferate it. And he said, it's difficult to improve or teach cognitive ability, what's traditionally thought of as intelligence. This may explain... <laughs> Why there are no courses or there appear to be no courses entitled be brighter or how to become more intelligent No concept sells if it tells you nothing much can be done 
it has to promise change. And he goes on to say, so one type of intelligence reaches its sell-by date for consultants and trainers, and there's another intelligence in the background waiting to pick up the baton. The skillful, and I hope that's us on this in this session, know how to pay close attention to the current issues and know which <laughs> intelligence will, will work out best. Political intelligence is now of interest, but it's rebranded as savvy. Cultural intelligence potters along. Any suggestions for the next discovery? Media intelligence, money intelligence, wake up at the back, there is money to be made. So if you get nothing out of today and you're trying to sell something, put the word intelligence on it. You can probably publish a best-selling book. So if you want to write a book today on virtual intelligence or racial intelligence and get some clickbait, you might be able to sell a book. Now we know that there's capacity and capability in those things. You can grow in them, but just labeling something intelligence doesn't necessarily make it an intelligence. And so here's where it gets into, it gets into emotional intelligence. The question becomes, it's not whether it's intelligence or not. There's, there's two different schools of thought out there. But the question is, how do we actually use it and do we mix it? And often, we refer to it as an intelligence or we refer to it as something that can be developed more easily depending on maybe what we're selling. So if you think about how people use it commonly, maybe you're looking at a leader and deciding if you should put that, give that person a promotion um, or hire them. And so we might say something like, well... I mean, I don't know, Daniel, Daniel just is not an emotionally intelligent leader. So I don't think we should, we should put him in that role. Or ah, he just didn't seem like an emotionally intelligent leader. I don't want to hire him, right? So we just treated it like a, like, uh, like a trait. And uh, we are going to make decisions on this. And, and the consequence means that if it's not something that I can change, if I'm just stuck where I am, then we should only hire for emotional intelligence. So we shouldn't spend any time working on developing it. On the flip side, Oftentimes it's like, well, let's develop our emotional intelligence. But if it's, the question then becomes, is it something you can develop? And if it's an actual intelligence, you, you can, but, but not that quickly. So is it the most important thing to be putting our money and attention towards it with limited dollars? Or is there something else that might matter more for our investment in leaders or ourselves? It, it's one of the reasons why at Wild, we're more interested in the concept of emotional self-regulation, which is related to it, but it, it's, got, it's a construct with greater agreement in the literature and is more practical because it focuses on things that you can actually influence and develop. So for example, a focus on emotional regulation gives you agency. It's about the things you can actually control. Rob wrote an entire book on this, composed about differentiation, self and other and emotional regulation. But let me give you a, a couple of examples of what, what this looks like. If we frame it as a regulation, it's a capacity that we develop versus an intelligence that's a little more static, then it becomes, what are the eight agentic things, the strategies I can put in place to regulate my emotions or to learn how to become in tune with the emotions of others? Fundamentally, is this something we can learn is really what the question gets into. Let me give you three examples. Here are three things that we know from the research can help somebody regulate their emotions. One is a locus of control. So when emotions are going haywire, when the gauges are, are, are quibbling, do you choose to focus? Do you make a choice to focus on the things in your control over which you have agency? Or is your knee-jerk response to focus on all the things you have no influence over? That's one. We know that that actually can help somebody manage and regulate their emotions. Another one is you can learn to attend to the needs of other people by training yourself in listening skills, identifying with that person learning to be in their shoes, gaining their perspective, suspending judgment, understanding what they're feeling. This is what counselors and therapists are good at. 
So that's a skill. That, that's an ability I can actually grow. And it's, it's not an intelligence that, um, while some people might be more predisposed towards it, it, it's more of a behavioral skill. Or another way is thinking of multiple pathways and, and potential. We talk a lot about wild, about a focus on potential. You can train yourself to look at multiple possibilities when your emotions go off the charts. As an example, how many of us have had a, a situation, many of us have, where maybe you send somebody a text message, you give them a call, you send an email, and you don't hear back for an extended period of time. And you start to wonder, why? Did I write something wrong? Was it me? Something else I don't know about? And you can actually train yourself to, to start to look at possibilities and say, okay, what are three to five other equally possible, plausible, alternative explanations for why they didn't respond? And that's a benign example. And so th those are like an example of strategies that, that are in that emotional regulation literature you can actually do. And the good thing is you don't have to be very intelligent to practice those things, which for someone like me is good news. And while some of us might have a natural capacity, we might, have, uh, uh, we might be born with an increased capacity to those things, it avoids a fixed mindset of, of, of putting it as intelligence and focusing on things we can actually develop. So here's my second, my second possibility, my second question. If you think about your ability to regulate emotions, what strategies have helped you regulate your emotions in real time? I shared three, but what strategies have helped, helped you regulate your emotions in real time? Again, Rob wrote an entire book on that. Half truth three, and I'm gonna do this one quickly and get us into our breakout here. Emotions don't exist in a vacuum, but we often talk about them like they do. Quite simply, they do not exist in a vacuum. The concept of, of emotional intelligence as an intelligence or emotional regulation as a behavior are inherently relational concepts. And so emotional intelligence kind of alludes to this, but when we talk about it in our offices and we talk about the dinner tables, we talk about our ability to regulate emotions, we, we know that it's dependent on the emotional system of relationships that we exist in. How many of us have, have know somebody who we would say brings out the best in you? That person brings out the best in me. Or that person sets me off easily. And the holidays are coming, so you better be start thinking about those people and what that's like. But it's not just enough to understand others or my own emotion or even to regulate them. There's a deeper dynamic tension of self and other and recognizing that other people influence us and we influence other people. So therapists know this when they get into therapy with you they know that people can pull or push you in certain ways and you can pull or push people in certain ways as well and so when we talk about emotional intelligence we make the mistake of often talking about it like it's in a vacuum but there's a much deeper interpersonal dynamic at play because my emotional regulation is impacted by your emotional regulation and so it's not just being aware of it it's understanding how how they interact together so the question here would be who impacts your emotional regulation the most? Who impacts your emotional regulation? And, or conversely, whose emotional regulation do you impact? Who do you bring the best out of or who do you set off and why? Next is our spotlight from our live and interactive wild conversation. This is an interview with one of the leaders who was on the call for this topic. And we think you'll really enjoy their insights. Thanks for listening. We just cracked the door open up on this jungle of emotional intelligence. Um, so, hey, I wanted to give a quick spotlight towards the end here. Uh, Rublin, Shu, are you on the line? If so, could you unmute? Give us a shout. Uh, hi, everybody. <laughs> hey, hey. 
What's up? Thanks for joining us. Hi. Good. How are you doing? I'm so glad you could join. So, hey, um, you haven't seen this. So I'm going to put you on the spot. It's not going to be scary. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question to reflect on, on your conversation you had in that quick second. But if I could first quickly introduce you, and then maybe you can just tell everyone on, in the session what you do. Um, and then yes. I'm going to ask you a, a reflective question before we move into some next steps. Um, so I, 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 it's so cool to have you on here. I've known Rublin quite a while, uh, back from my days working in university, where I would connect with her. She was working in a, recruit, a recruiting firm focused on diversity recruiting, and I would often send her candidates to connect to. Um, and I always heard fantastic um, uh, experiences on how well she treated people as humans in a recruiting process. It's easy when you're in a recruiting or a placement process to feel like you're just some cog in a machine or a puzzle, a piece on a bigger puzzle. Um, and so I, I've always appreciated you. And today she is a vice president at an organization called Access2. And it's focused on diversity recruiting. So great, uh, one, I, I just want to get your reflections. I know you're a thoughtful person, but also um, great plug if anyone ever needs to uh, uh, have some recruiting help, specifically in diversity recruiting. I know we've got a couple of recruiters on the line too who could connect with you as partners. Um, reach out to Rublin, but Rublin, you got to, to hear me wade through the jungle of emotional intelligence. I don't know if I got all the way out yet. Um, and you also yeah. had the opportunity to get into a lively conversation with some folks. Um, and you put in the chat, I'm, I'm super curious, what, what was worth paying attention to for you personally in our time together today? Um, I, I think if any, it's everyone has uh, heightened. Uh, the emotional intelligence uh, conversation, that's that's amazing because I don't think it has been um, put on the spot very, very much so until we have our hands against the wall in times like we are today. So I think said everyone is, uh, you know, being more on their toes and being more aware of of their teams. And, uh, you know, as I was saying in our the group chat that I was with uh, in that room, that it's important to be kind to yourself and give yourself grace uh, now that we are jumbled in in a home where it's like you're working from home and then you have your personal life you can't really turn it off you know i i don't have kids on my own but my business partners they they both have kids and so when we're in meetings uh regardless like uh, i see megan there yesterday i had to carry my niece while i was talking to uh a huge um executive known here in uh, Washington state. I kept apologizing. I was like, I'm sorry, my nieces are here, <laughs> you know, and uh, they were very, very uh, graceful uh, saying hi to my nieces and having a conversation with them. So um, with that said, I think it's very important now uh, more than ever being more aware of everyone's situation. Yeah. What, what is um, in, the, in the work you do and in, in, in just what you just described with that mix, that blend of work and life, I think we're all experiencing. What does emotional regulation look like for you in this season? And what is it allowing you to do it well? Um, I think holding up boundaries and being way more understanding than, uh, than you would be when you're in an office setting. Uh, being graceful, uh, letting your employees and your team uh, take a break when they really, really need to, uh, not when they're almost empty on their whole cup. But I think if you're seeing the signs and you're, you're, you're being able to read them uh, from afar and from a screen and, you know, uh, you can 
pretty easily spot on what is uh, happening with your team if you guys are all on all, all in sync. If not, then I suggest to be able to have that one on one and take the time at least five ten minutes because you're uh, as myself. I'm speaking for myself. I'm not sure how everyone else does it, but for me, I can definitely see intuitively what is happening with my team if we're not all succinct. Um, that's why I kind of require my team to be on camera because I can see in that sense what their faces are like if they're actually here. Yeah, it's harder, harder so, to actually read it, right, uh, virtually versus versus face-to-face. -face. Gosh, so much good stuff, Rubelin. I think you're, I, I, as I hear your reflections, I'm just even finding myself thinking about what that looks like for me. And I like, I like that, that paying attention because what it was really making me think of is a, a big takeaway for me is being paying closer attention to others in this season as so many things are happening. I think that's why this concept continues to have, have a lot of interest. Uh, so thanks for jumping in there. Thanks for joining this wild conversation. If you'd like to learn more about wild leaders, visit us at wildleaders.org. If you want to purchase the wild toolkit, visit wildtoolkit.com. If you'd like to join the interactive live recording with other leaders, Sign up at wildleaders.org backslash wild conversation. I'm Megan Lawrence. Have a great day.